Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Jim Martin. He is the founder and president of Venue Intelligence. Venue Intelligence provides innovative technology solutions which improve the security, marketing, and operations of large venues and live events featuring their flagship SaaS product, Playbook. Jim's career spans nearly 20 years of technology and business development, ranging from startup and early stage organizations to the world's largest and most successful companies. Prior to starting Venue Intelligence, Jim spent a dozen years with Simon Property Group. As vice president of building and automation and business development, he was responsible for the inception, strategy, and implementation of Simon's Wi-Fi and cellular programs at over 230 locations, representing four international shopping center platforms, the regional malls, mills, premium outlets, community centers. As the principal liaison between property management, corporate security, operations, and IT, Jim successfully deployed Simon's mobile security reporting platform and business process redesign involving more than four and a half million hours of contract security labor, 1,700 mobile devices, and 2,800 access points. Jim has led the design and development of new in-building network infrastructure to support the next generation of tenant operators or operations and enhance shopper experience. Jim managed collaborative projects of vendors, retailers, and major brands to drive value to the Simon portfolio through disruptive new revenue channels and various expense reduction initiatives. Prior to joining Simon, Jim was the president and co-founder of Smart Manager, Service, maintenance, and repair technologies, a web-based suite of applications designed specifically for the retail facility maintenance industry. Jim spent much of the 90s in the technology staffing and project management industry, following three years working with Nestle Brands. Jim is also a graduate of Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Great, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I think I'm a little dry mouth from that intro, but <laughs> right. it was very impressive, um, the background and I think all the uh, the connections going into venue intelligence. But I want to, I want, I think this listeners want to know why start venue intelligence? Sure. So as you explained, after having a ringside seat to uh, operations, security, marketing, and, and frankly, all the things that go into running a shopping center uh, for the better part of uh, a decade plus, you know, there are a lot of observations that one has when you pull that curtain back. When you shop in a mall, it's one thing. It's another thing to, again, kind of see the see how the sausage is made as we, as we talk about. And when you look at uh, the amount of effort and coordination that goes into uh, particularly something that was uh, uh, part and parcel to my day job, which was the physical security of the building. You know, when you're talking about a shopping center, you were talking about a city within a city. And so to secure a shopping center in today's environment uh, requires a uh, significant amount of coordination. And so uh, part of the catalyst in leaving uh, Simon Property Group from uh, an inception perspective as it related to venue intelligence had a conversation with one of our national account representatives out of uh, Stanley Security, and he had uh, contacted me with regard to a crowd simulation company that he was working with, and he was going to be their first North American representation uh, to really blow open um, uh, uh, crowd simulation as a tool uh, for major venue owners. He was specifically focusing on stadiums 
and um, and the uh, athletic space. And he called me up and he said, hey, look, you, you clearly have a pretty unique background with respect to the shopping center industry. And we think the crowd simulation would have a play with respect to uh, shopping centers. Now, as a guy that, again, worked for an organization that had a billion shoppers a year, 100 million unique visitors, uh, the idea of crowd simulation was something that was compelling, particularly in the context of, of safety and security. I'm a big fan, Sean, of the expression, you play the way you practice. And the reality is in the shopping center space, when you do something like an active shooter drill, you do that at a shopping center when it's closed, naturally. Uh, it might be 6 o'clock in the morning uh, in a suburban mall, and you have teams of people there that are acting out their specific roles under the thinking that we play the way we practice. But the reality is uh, that practice of that drill never takes place on a Saturday night, downtown, urban mall, when the city is teaming with, uh, you know, in Indianapolis, um, pick your event, right? The NCAA Final Four, the FFA, the Black Expo, Gen Con. You would never do a drill, of course, during a time when it might be more actually uh, likely to occur. And so um, I had an opportunity to uh, team up with this individual. And as, as uh, we started evaluating what was venue intelligence really going to be doing, and we'll talk more about kind of the core value proposition, that was really captivating, captivating to me because that ability to say, look, this is exactly how a shopping mall from a behavioral analytics, from a predictive analytics, from a, um, uh, a visual analytics perspective, this is how a mall would look and feel and react in the event that we actually needed to uh, evacuate 5,000 people at one time on a Friday night, a different day part, for example. But then that also spills right into marketing as well to say, look, if we're going to have a concert at this shopping center with this kind of footprint, what does that same concert look like? And where are the marketing opportunities from an impressions perspective as people are queuing up to see Kelly Clarkson opening for the Microsoft concert? That's a very different type of event to do at Circle Center Mall versus at Stanford Shopping Center, for example. So what, what can the data tell us and what can it predict? You know, we have weather radar, but we really don't have crowd radar. At least it's not used operationally for the management of most facilities that I'm aware of. Uh, so, you know, that was that was really the catalyst. We'll get into playbook and how we kind of pivoted away from using crowd simulation technology. But to be uh, totally blunt, that was really the catalyst for forming venue intelligence. Well, it's interesting that you just mentioned in, in, in most of that was the predictive intelligence. But the other thing was um, the play the way you practice or what, what was the, what was your phrase again? Yeah, yeah. We, you play the way you practice. Yeah, you play bet. the way yep. you practice. And um, well, interestingly enough, you have a, a SaaS product now. Um, which is specifically the playbook right out of that. Um, can you tell me more about the playbook and, and how, do, how do you start marketing this kind of SaaS product? Sure. So playbook in, in very simple terms is one part content or document management tool, uh, one part event management and one part uh, emergency management. Um, I, I sat through a, a number of conversations during my time uh, with Simon where in putting together, and it's actually a timely conversation to be having today as we talk about a, a hurricane that's that's hitting the East Coast. You know, that's an organization that with hundreds of malls throughout the United States, I think they have 40 properties in Florida alone. So they are as adept at handling hurricanes uh, hitting major assets as any organization by my way of thinking in the world, frankly. And so what we what we saw was an iteration of a document that was referred to as the Hurricane Guide, uh, maybe back in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, that was, I seem to recall, maybe a 15 to 20 page document in terms of a how to deal with a hurricane in your shopping center or approaching your shopping center. Um, that 
evolved into a 285-page comprehensive emergency management plan. Simon Property Group was the first one to have that document available. Um, I was a part of numerous conversations as it related to building that document. And one of the takeaways that I had, and, and Sean, when I do pitch meetings, a lot of times I'll use this graphic for those that are old enough in the audience to remember the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's when they're rolling the Ark of the Covenant to put it back in some, you know, uh, enormous warehouse somewhere. And, and too many times, that's exactly what happens with these these emergency plans. And that's that's by no means a criticism of Simon. I mean, I think I could walk you into a mall manager's office and show you where it sits today. But to create these plans and put in so much hard work and energy, and again, this is not a mall specific uh, comment. This is a this is a cultural statement with respect to emergency planning. With the exception of those people that love it because it's what they do and it's what they get paid to do every single day, most people do it to check the box for insurance reason, uh, risk mitigation reasons, what have you. The problem is it's not a living, breathing document, and 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 worst of all, it's not accessible. Uh, I talk to countless people on a weekly basis who I'll ask them where their plan is and it's in their binder. And my follow-up is always, well, do you have your binder with you right now? Because we never know when these circuits, now uh, hurricanes, clearly we, we see a hurricane coming in most instances, these emergencies for which you've planned arise out of the blue. It's critical to have that documentation with you. And obviously we all carry our cell phones. So from the standpoint of this, um, uh, this system that we've created in the way the playbook app um, it allows you to essentially co-locate all your emergency information with your event plans, along with maps and contacts. You typically don't need a tremendous amount of information at your fingertips. You need the right information at your fingertips. And we like to say when minutes matter, you, you don't want to send somebody chasing for a binder or, or, or trying to thumb through their email to find a 48-page PDF that they then have to find the right section. You know, when you have somebody who has had a heart attack, you need to go find the AED. You don't need to go find the binder or find the map for the facility that you don't know where the AED is. You need that in your pocket. And so whether you're a visitor at a convention center or you're at a church camp, the bottom line is you need this information available. And obviously, again, in the day and age that we live, uh, everybody's carrying their cell phones. So we think that that is the best place for it to reside. So let me kind of pivot to, to answering your uh, your second question. You know, with respect to marketing, um, there's a lot of, because we deal with still kind of the traditional um, persona or buyer, uh, meaning that there are a lot of folks that are still attending trade shows. There are countless, countless event managers and venue managers that go to uh, best practice conferences to learn about how to be more uh, prepared uh, for an emergency at their particular venue. The number one piece of feedback that I get when I download with somebody after an event is it was an overwhelming amount. Great presentation by the by the speaker, but I am completely overwhelmed with what I heard. You know how trade shows work now. You go and you, you select, hey, I'm going to go attend this one, this one, this one, and this one. And at the end of three days, you've heard some great content. For a lot of folks, emergency planning is really scary. Uh, they're not good at it. It's not their core business. There's risk associated with getting it wrong. And it's not a lot of fun. I've had people tell us that at least your app kind of makes it cool and fun and actionable because I, I don't know otherwise where to start. So in the, in the product itself, we have prompts. We have a library of kind of pre-canned information that allows people to go out and already grab it. So you can get started and have an emergency plan, not only partly built out, but available on your phone to distribute to your key stakeholders, your staff, your volunteers, before you even leave the airport from said conference, as opposed to, wow, I just heard what that guy had to say. It's going to take me six months to stand something up. That's that's the number one issue that we run into. So from a marketing perspective, we do attend those conferences. We try and have a presence at those places where um, it may not naturally scream safety and security. But if you talk to any 
organization of consequence where there's a gathering of any where they're in charge of gatherings of large uh, uh, groups of people. Safety and security obviously is, is a predominant focus for a lot of those folks. Certainly us getting out and being in the um, uh, the most conspicuous places, uh, places from a digital marketing perspective, whether that be, hey, our, our constituents are still hanging out on Facebook. What do we look like on Instagram? Uh, bluntly, that's an area where we uh, need to continue to do a lot of work. We need to continue to anticipate where our buyer is going to be online and continue to do a better job. Inherently, we have a, a product that is online. And so we need to uh, we need to make sure that we are pervasive uh, uh, in the marketplace, uh, from a standpoint of having a presence when somebody types in safety and security, um, when people go to meetings and they're talking about pre-planning and your life safety and you're the police and you're talking about the city of Indianapolis, I want people to be looking for the playbook as a standard, as opposed to here's the agenda for the meeting. Here's what you're going to do. Here's your handout. No, no. I want law enforcement to say, we need to see your playbook. So before I ask the next question, I'm just seeing a little parallel here of you actually being a true IU Hoosier in the sense of playbooks, everybody works as a team, understanding what, what are the game plans, large venues. I mean, it all kind of goes together. I'm like, oh, this kind of fits all together with, with <laughs> right. IU basketball and sure. everything, which is kind of funny. Um, so the biggest thing, I mean, I think you've, you've hinted on this, is that you go after security operations and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first, you know, the first part of this question is, you know, why, going, why do you go after those, sure. those groups? Because there's so many other groups that can be part of venues. Mm-hmm. My second question out of that is, what kind of messaging do these people resonate with, with the playbook? Have you kind of tested that out? Yeah. So, um, great, great question. Uh, the first, the first half of the question is, I think one of the greatest challenges, um, that are without being overly dramatic, one of the greatest challenges that event managers face, I believe right now, and and this is really the fundamental kind of push for venue intelligence beyond playbook. And that is really helping venue owners, uh, event managers and the like balance security and safety, while at the same time optimizing the fan experience or the guest experience, or if you're a school, the student experience. Um, I recall Sean going out to the Indianapolis 500 right after the Boston Marathon bombing. It was literally two weeks after the guys had blown up the, the finish line of the Boston Marathon. And the Indianapolis 500 has one of the greatest challenges just because of the sheer size of that, of that place. It's the largest it, single it, event it, in the it, world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so to try and balance, and I use them as the example because they do it, I think about as well as can be done given the circumstances with 300, 350, 400,000 people and, and a, a rather porous, and again, that's not a criticism, but a rather porous, um, uh, means of entry porous meaning there's a lot of ways in because there has to be a lot of ways in right and and the reason there has to be a lot of ways is is because people have no tolerance people have no patience i stood behind three or four people who were just according to them blowing up social media they were just going down the org chart of everybody out at the brickyard and ims and they're going to tweet out how frustrated they are that jim neighbors is warming up and they can't get in in time well you know IMS did a wonderful job of promoting ahead of time the fact that there are going to be longer lines this year. And again, we just saw one of the most uh, storied and largest branded patriotic events in the country get bombed. And so I don't have a lot of tolerance when I wait in line for the knucklehead, quite frankly, who's standing in front of me, who wants to completely forego the bag check process just so they can be in their seat. I realize that you might have been to an event 35 times since you were 10 years old. 
but you want to be able to go to the next 35. You want your grandkids to go to the next 35. And it's going to take, unfortunately, one horrendous accident. Again, whether it's at a, it's at a shopping center or it's, it's a bus that gets blown up in New York City. There's any number of those things that because we are given the gift in this country of free will and in many instances free access, that it's going to take one person exercising that judgment. We see it we see in school shootings every week every week. So with with that challenge, that challenge of how do I balance fan safety and yet not jeopardize fan experience because I'm 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 ticked off, right? I talk to I talk to people in the parking business with some frequency because when you talk about safety and security, there's a certain line of thinking that says, look, I, this is all about how close is my perimeter, right? And if I can start to secure my building at the parking experience, I have I have the bad guy that much farther away from from where I, you know, I'm actually pulling off the event. Um, if somebody's last experience in the parking garage is a three-hour wait to get out of the parking garage, that's going to taint their view, right? So it's all about this fan experience and whether you're a shopper and it's the shopper experience. Uh, my kid's not afraid to go to school. My kid's in a great learning environment. It's the learning experience. Or again, it's one of these challenges that NFL fans have the choice of sitting at home on their in front of their 72-inch flat screen and watching, or am I going to pay the big bucks to go downtown and park and go into the stadium? Um, just as a quick side note, I had an opportunity to visit with the uh, the CIO of AT&T Stadium where the Dallas Cowboys play, and it was it was the week after when they first opened. You may recall that the punter kicked the ball and it hit the scoreboard because that thing is so enormous and it's so so low. And I I asked the fella. Um, Tell me about the backstory on this place. How in the world? I mean, I know you're the Dallas Cowboys and I know everything's bigger in Texas and all of that business, but how, how did this place even come to be? And he said, he said, you got to know two things. He says, I, I work for Jerry Jones and, and you know, my biggest, uh, my biggest advocate in this marketplace is, is a Mark Cuban because anything Mark Cuban does, Jerry Jones wants to do bigger and better. And then he said, and this was the soundbite that really resonated with me. He said, we knew if we didn't build this monstrosity that was going to be so compelling for people to drive to Arlington and park and pay eight bucks for a beer and have a totally high-end experiential uh, event. I mean, these folks love their cowboys, but they'll stay home and watch on TV. And so you have to have this this experience. So, so that's a very long way of me saying marketing and security and operations are really absolutely tied at the hip. I still go to plenty of meetings where security will be at one end of the table, marketing or the event planner will be at the other end. Um, she's all fired up about the event that she's got coming into town. This guy's a little bit frustrated because he's concerned about the logistics and the fact that there's going to be a lot of people there. Well, that's exactly her goal is to have a lot of people. He may be a little frustrated over it, or he might be, hey, I'm the guy in charge. You don't need to worry about what we're going to do if it hits the fan. Well, that's that's a legacy attitude. That's an attitude that is starting to go away. And so to me, it's very evident, uh, having worked for an organization that did an upwards of, I think it was 35,000 events a year across the shopping center um, uh, portfolio that they had. And now that ranged from Santa Claus to a Kelly Clarkson concert, right. And everything in between. Uh, so th- that math adds up, but if you don't have everybody in sync on game day, when something does go wrong, you're exposed, you've not mitigated your risk. Um, and you, and you really, it's, it's critical that everybody's on the same sheet of music. So, um, you know, I, th- I think that's, that's really why we're focused on bringing everybody together and playbook is a really simple way to do that because everybody's got the game plan in their hands. Right. It's not I have the emergency binder. And by the way, she has the event plan and she's somewhere else. None of us have our contact information. She's got a radio. I don't. Um, I'm going to have you repeat your second question. Second part of the question. 
Oh, the second part of the question was, um, I think it was with the playbook, um, with itself, you know, not only why go after these people, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think, I think I kind of forgot it there for a second. Cause I mean, um, you combined offline background to the next part I was going to go into, I've, I've been grilling you here <laughs> a little bit here. So, um, I think the, uh, I think, you know, following up with that, if I, if, um, we didn't answer that second question there, that we'll do a little follow up if we need to, um, in the episode. But I think, you know, we, you answer, you know, why go after these people? Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is I think, um, how do you market um, the playbook to these people? And, and you mentioned, I think it's really interesting. You mentioned, you mentioned events, um, big stadiums, mm-hmm. shopping malls, but you also mentioned schools, mm-hmm. um, just groups of large people. Yeah. Um, you know, who do you, I mean, who do you see as, as a marketing opportunity or how does this playbook help um, with you can't control people, but right. how can you manage the security so that everybody's in the same, on the same page, the sure. same message, the same direction? Sure. Yeah, it's it's a, uh, and this is honestly what kind of makes it. There's a lot of fun aspects to a business that when you talk about safety and security. I mean, I'm a I'm a positive guy. I'm not a sky is falling kind of guy, but I am the type of guy that, um, I, as I like to say, and I got this from a former boss at at Simon. You uh, you inspect what you expect, right? And so uh, said a little bit differently. You know, if I expect that this is going to be the way things are going to go down, I better kick the tires on this sort of thing. And I think a lot of times, again, with these these plans that are written, I have seen. Nothing short of ludicrous plans. I was given a plan last summer to put into playbook for an event and they sent it to me and I looked at it and after 30 seconds, I texted the guy back and I said, I'm not sure you sent me the right plan. Who did you send this to at the city to, because they had to submit their emergency plan for this event that was going to take place downtown, important to note in the middle of July of the seven page plan, four pages were what to do in case of a blizzard. And, and, and so that grinds on a guy like me because why, why jerk, everybody's busy. Everybody says they're busy, whether they're busy or not. We all have the same 24 hours. It's how we choose to spend our time, right? Um, why would you submit something where where four out of the seven pages, and quite frankly, the other three were non – I mean page one was an intro, two sentences, the title of the plan. Uh, pages three through five or three through seven rather were all about not just what to do in case of a blizzard but if you're in your car and you're stuck and there's a blizzard outside. It, it's, it's frankly um, – completely irresponsible if somebody at any city level were to receive that plan and check off, check a box that says, okay, you have a plan in place that is appropriate for this outdoor event in July in Indianapolis. Uh, so Even Santa's not in the blizzard during that time. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think when we talk about, you know, the people that we're trying to sell to, um, it, it, it's really the people's who, people whose uh, cans are on the line to pull off an event that are also going to get the phone call if something does happen. Um, more often than not, these, these events have large brands associated with them. Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about schools, there's not a lot of brand associated with it, but it's, it's the most, um, what's the adjective I want? I mean, you know, it's our children. And then, and they're, you know, we're, we're, we're putting them in the care of people throughout the day who are educating them, but they've increasingly been tasked with and you need to protect them from all these crazy scenarios that 20 years ago, someone would have never dreamed up. Right. And, and so trying to, again, put, um, easy and accessible information in the hands of what we view as a really important ecosystem, that being staff, 
volunteers and first responders. And I want to spend just a minute on that dynamic. You know, staff a lot of times may, in, in really kind of almost enterprise situations, they may have access to something online. I get told from time to time, not really that frequently, but, you know, we have a solution that's in place. Um, it, it might be Dropbox. It might be, heaven forbid, it's SharePoint on mobile. I mean, that's just an awesome experience, and I'm rolling my eyes for those of you listening at home. Um, it, 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 those aren't solutions. They're, they're not. They're not viable. It has to be easy. It has to be intuitive. Uh, in the moment, I got to be able to click something. Um, and it's important to say that with Playbook, it's it's also not just about in that moment. It's about I've always got. It's almost a distance learning tool, right? This thing is in my pocket. So if I'm looking, I'm on the bus ride in. I can take a look at, and I'm dealing with an event. Um, maybe that day, or I'm driving over to my event to the BMW Championship because I'm in charge of VIP parking. Um, you know. My training took place a month ago in a, in, a, in a room with 50 other people who have day jobs, and I've kind of forgotten what I'm supposed to do this weekend short of, you know, watch the golfers and make sure that, that I park people's cars correctly. Uh, but it just gives me the, the, the chance to kind of, you know, move through self, self-paced learning, right, to, to check and see, okay, what do I do if a storm blows in? What do I do if I have an altercation with a guy whose car I just dented? What do I do if it, it, it's, it's all right there? But that, that critical mix of staff who maybe is a little bit more prepared to know what to do because it's their day job to know the building and to know where they work. And to, and, and yet I would argue that that's still not always the case. Volunteers are the wild card. You know, your volunteers are either an asset or a liability period. And as I say to a lot of folks, you know, you're, you're short selling your volunteer. You've given them a hat, you've given them a shirt or a vest and a radio. So they all look really official. And frankly, there are certain personalities that, feel very official and you, you, you dress them up like that and they're, they're going to be a reference point for somebody who's attending your event. So they need to know what to do in the case of the expectate, uh, the expected activities as well as those things that come in surprises. And then lastly, law enforcement, you know, I speak with law enforcement on, on, if not a daily basis on a weekly basis, and I'll informally poll people just around the city of Indianapolis. Like, what do you know about that venue or this venue? You know, whether it's my church or the shopping center, people make, John Q. Public makes assumptions that, well, the cops would show up and life safety would show up and they would know exactly what to do. Well, most cops I talk to have never been to my specific church. They don't know where the children's wing is. They can probably figure out where the sanctuary is. They don't know if there's a shooting in the church office, where to go, because they've never been there. I talked to law enforcement about something like the Keystone Shopping Center. It's an enormous, it's the best known shopping destination on the north side, arguably. Um, I talked to one law enforcement fellow who would be responsible for responding to an event. It's in his jurisdiction. I said, have you ever been there? He's like, no, my, you know, my wife's shopped there plenty of times, but I have no idea, no idea where I would go. Um, so I, I think uh, point being, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably selling him a little short, obviously with some appropriate communication out of the mall, you would have an idea of where to go. But if we have the time, I can share with you some of the, some of the 911 tapes I heard that, 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 were a real incentive for me to think about a product like, like playbook. When you, I'll share it with you. You're nodding. So I'm going to share it with you. Um, Oh, go ahead. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, you, you threw the teaser out there. That's right. That's go. right. That's right. They'll have to log in for podcast number two, I guess the, um, uh, again, I'm citing a lot of Simon because they, they do a lot of these things as well as anybody in the country, uh, within their industry. Uh, we were at a, a summit meeting. We had, uh, we had started pulling together, um, 
groups of, I want to say, 30 to 40 mall managers at a time. And we did this regionally uh, back in the late 2000s. And um, it, essentially, the idea was, look, as a mall manager, you need to get a hold of your chief of police and bring them to a summit meeting. And we're going to break bread. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to have a day long of really good programming. And uh, we're going to inform them of, of how we're training you guys. And they can also share some best practices from a law enforcement standpoint, with the idea being, let's not meet your police chief on the day that a plane crashes into your shopping center. It's not the best day for a guy to be showing up to take over your mall and you're the one who's in charge of the mall. That's just not how you want to meet somebody. And so we had really effective meetings uh, across the nation. And I remember uh, when we got to L.A., um, SWAT got up, L.A. SWAT got up and shared a story and played a 911 tape. Now, I don't have any formal law enforcement background uh, at all. And and so you got a room that's half full of shopping center people and half full of law enforcement and first responders. They play this 911 tape, and it's a shooting in a shopping center. It's an active shooter situation. It was not at a Simon Mall. Um, but let's say it was, uh, you know, an Abercrombie and Fitch store manager. Uh, she got uh, – the shooter came into her store. She wasn't able to pull the gate down in time. She barricaded herself into her office. And about the three-and-a-half-minute mark, the guy breaks into the office, and he shoots her. And so for the next three minutes, we listen to her die. Um it takes a pretty unique person to listen to a tape like that and not remember it or not be affected. I mean, I'm looking around the room and it's, it was horrible. It was horrible to listen to. And they, obviously they did it for effect. Now I'm not going to suggest that playbook would have saved her life, but what I would suggest is this, when you're on the phone with a first responder, an average first response time is going to be three to four minutes. That's an eternity. It really is. It, three to four minutes is an eternity for somebody who's had a heart attack and you can't find the AED or it's a mile away. Three minutes is the crucial number. New York Roadrunners might go as high as four minutes to say that you got to get paddles on somebody or brain damage is going to set in. you got to establish that sinus rhythm. I think it's far worse and far more dramatic when it's an active shooter. I, you could argue that out, right? Both scenarios are terrible. But to know that that gal was on the phone for that long a period of time with no other ability to contact anyone else in the shopping center, I would argue that had she had the access to information on her phone, um, because look, I don't, I know you, but I don't have your information on my phone. If we're working an event together, wouldn't it be nice to just have one tab that says, look, here's Sean, here's his responsibilities, and I can get a hold of you very quickly. I would propose that had she had the opportunity to say, hey, the shooter's in my space and text that out to a small group of people on the premise, that outcome might have been a little bit different because I can assure you that those people would have gotten down there and made a commotion that would have, I think, drove the shooter out of there. Um, who knows? Who knows? I, I'm not bold enough to shout that from the mountaintops. I just feel that you need access to that information. You, you don't have time to start flipping through your emails, you know, when something happens. This is my job. I'm a chaperone at a church camp. Kid showed up at my cabin with a bloodied head because he fell out of his, his uh, uh, US bed at three in the morning. What do I do? There is no cell coverage. The person who's actually running the camp is home. What do I do as a chaperone? I can either show up as a volunteer who's a warm body or I can show up and actually be somebody who's responsible. And I think part of me being responsible is showing up with the right intelligence in my hands. Does that make like, sense? Yeah. Oh, makes perfect sense. And it, it really opens your eyes to that three minutes. That three minutes can mean a lot of things in, in, in so many different scenarios. And you gave some off, awesome offline background just with the difference of um, go, you know, talking to security and operations and marketing with you know, the Cow Dallas Cowboys mm -hmm. all the way to um, having just the accessible access to information of how many volunteers. Like there could be races 
Like literally people running races and someone, you know, twists their ankle or something happens and they don't know what to do. They don't know who to contact. Well, let me just inject there real quick. Our first customer was a, uh, a marathon. And, you know, you talk about how tough it is to secure a school or a shopping center that's frankly a million feet or two million feet. Um, it's not unusual for a marathon to begin in one state <laughs> and end up somewhere else. And so when you're talking about um, – radios working across that distance, forget it. When you're talking about volunteers, you're talking about coordinating law enforcement across not only different counties, but different state lines. That's significant coordination. So it's one thing if somebody turns their ankle, but it's another thing if weather blows in, you know, you're running 26.2 miles. Uh, what if weather blows in at the 15 mile mark? The, the race start might be fine. The race finish might be fine, but you just had a thunderstorm that blew through half your crowd. How is that getting communicated? How do you recover a lost child quicker? Uh, we have excellent examples of races that have used the playbook platform to get a text from the frantic parent, drop that into the app, and now you distribute that out to your 100 vetted employee or vetted uh, volunteers, rather, that have the playbook app. They don't all have radios because nobody can afford that. Radios are really expensive. Um, the ability to have the picture of the lost girl probably in the outfit that she was in that day because that's how parents are, right? I mean, I saw it here live at the Zinesville Fall Festival one year with cops flying down on their bikes, calling out for little five-year-old blonde-haired Emma who was lost. And they'll tell you that's, that is not the optimal way. The last thing you want to do is be calling out to a crowd of unknowns that there's a lost little girl. We live in a world where people will take that little girl. Whereas I got 100 people, I can flash this out on their device. Boom, this is the girl I'm looking for right here. And by the way, we already have her mom's number because she texted us in that information. And that's powerful technology. And, and when you're talking about an event that you want to go well, I talk with people again every week. They will say, you know what, Jim, we may have bad weather for our event, but you run one event, you will lose a kid. It's kind of a given. They're not saying that's a good thing. You'll find the kid ideally, but their point is it's, it happens with that frequency. So to your point, these are things that most lay people, you just don't know, right? You go to an event, if they do it well, it meets your expectation. I mean, even if they blow the doors off, what's a blow the doors off type of experience look like? The Super Bowl, the Indianapolis 500, right? But when it goes bad, you can be assured people are on social media. You have a brand associated with that. So there's brand exposure. You have people that lose their jobs. The state fair collapse, right? I mean, it's the list goes on and on and on. But it, it, it doesn't come without a lot of foresight and a lot of planning. Yeah. Well, Jim, I really love your passion. This part of the episode is more about you rather than venue intelligence. But I, I, I see your work passion. You want to help people. You want to help um, inform people and help them run events and venue areas and just groups of large people a lot better so everybody um, can be safer right? in a sense. Yep. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I always ask, you know, my speaker or the guests, um, what do you do creatively or as a hobby that, that you can bring back into what you're doing day in, day out, you know, the, the constant grind with venue intelligence? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a parent of two and, and very blessed uh, to have uh, both a boy and a girl. I've got a high school student and I've got a middle school student. And um, my son is uh, a ball player and in show choir and I've had the uh, opportunity to uh, – uh, coach him. And I, I love coaching. And a lot of this just relates to a lot of what I've done in my leisure time um, related to being involved with kids, you know, whether that's been through church and there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure YouTube uh, links of me doing crazy vacation Bible school. I think I've been every character in the old Testament in the past decade, 
in, in, in some form or fashion. Um, so I don't want to be cliche and talk about the opportunity to give back, but I think that as a parent, certainly my hobbies, I used to golf <laughs> and that pains me to say, I do, I do enjoy golfing. Um, uh, but I, I do enjoy coaching. When I look at my calendar outside of uh, venue intelligence, a lot of it obviously has to do with family and as an extension of family, it has to do with a lot of the kids' activities. Um, that's not entirely self-serving because when, when you, when you go out to these various events that the kids are involved in, whether it's my daughter's competitive cheer events that are completely over the top, crazy, wild events, uh, my son's show choir that competes on the coasts and wherever else, or I go to uh, a recreational baseball game or, or football game where my daughter might be cheering. Um, these are all events, right? These are all, and I, you know, there's a little bit in our business and in me now, again, not being a, working a day of law enforcement where when the genie's out of the bottle and you have been part of these training uh, initiatives in your former life, uh, you do look at things a little bit differently. You might look at the way that somebody's acting suspiciously or what they might be wearing. And I think we're, we're in that world now. So it doesn't wreck anything for me. I'll tell you that I, when I go to, you know, movies to watch, uh, something I look, um, you know, we, as scary as it was at that time, we had a, that kind of, uh, rash of movie shootings with the uh, Batman deal years and years ago. Right. And there was talk at the time of how future cinemas will be designed because they're really terrible. They are shooting galleries. It's not a, it's not a good design, but they, that, that horrible, um, type of, for instance, was never thought about when it was time to design the next AMC theater or, uh, or landmark. Um, so again, I do a, I do an awful lot with my family. Um, you know, the, the, the hobbies that I most enjoy are really, um, spending time with them and, and volunteer opportunities to not only be in proximity to them because it is fleeting and it, they do grow up way too fast. It's the truest cliche of probably all the parenting cliches, but I uh, love it. Wouldn't trade it. And there's plenty of time for golf, uh, in my golden years. <laughs> well, there's always a lot of good truth and cliches. So. Yeah, right. Right. And then my last question for you is what do you do health wise? I'd say you're drinking a glass of water right now, but, uh, <laughs> what do you do health wise on a consistent basis that you don't, so you don't get burned out? Not enough. Not enough. Um, you know, it's, it, it's funny because again, with the, uh, and the, the, the coaching has been pretty isolated to baseball, which I get a lot of enthusiasm out of. Um, I, I it's, it, it's funny when I deal with my, uh, my marathon customers and my triathlon customers, there's a bit of a guilt complex I have because, you know, I need to be doing more cardio and I need to be doing, uh, more in the way of just physical activity. Uh, but just, I mean, frankly, just, just the ability to get outside and this is a bit of a plug for Z works. Um, but, you know, not, not being in, in the office gig. I mean, I, I enjoy being out at these events. And again, that, that does, that does not constitute, uh, uh, that, that to run playbook, you have to have our staff there with you. Obviously it's, it's a SaaS product. So wherever you want to stand it up is up to you. Uh, but you know, with, with the, the setup here at ZWorks, obviously, as you well know, we're up and we're mobile. And a lot of times we're conversing throughout this place and, and just kind of the ability to jump outside and enjoy a nice day like today is, is super, but, uh, I don't have a super succinct answer. I'd love to say that, you know, drinking water, is the uh, is the answer to all my ills? I try to drink as much water as I can because I certainly ingest too much coffee. So, well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, no, to, sorry no, no. to be so blunt, yeah. candid, not a well, lot of juicy. You're enjoying your coffee because you are on converged coffee. There you go. Well, there, good segue. Yeah, good segue. there you go. So, yeah. um, Jim, thank you for uh, talking about venue intelligence, the importance of um, what your SaaS product is, is trying to solve. I think it's a very important thing that a lot of people. Um, they, it's come into light 
And a lot of people want to know how to figure everything out, like how to figure it out. And it comes to the people that are managing or running the event and the volunteers. So I appreciate your story and your background story and also just sharing about yourself. I mean, I feel like a lot of people just see the company and see the the people running it and they just don't understand, they don't understand like how much it takes. Um, and, And we're all human. I mean, we all have, you know, some of us have kids, some of us don't, right. all that kind of stuff. But what makes us tick? Yeah. So well, there, there, and I'll just say this, you know, there, to your point, there are seasons of life. And, and after having been a corporate guy for um, a lot of years and having the opportunity to go out and, and start something again in a season of life where you're trying to evaluate that work-life balance and make sure that at least as it relates to the priorities and the choices that you're making, that you're spending your time on the things that are most meaningful. And for me, that is... Uh, my family and my church and the volunteer opportunities because I'm not in my 20s anymore. And I recognize that, yeah, there is not only an opportunity to give back, but the skills and the challenges that you've been blessed to have, uh, you need to be intentional about using. I think having been a part of large organizations where I learned an awful lot in terms of how to run what I believe is a world-class company, I, I aspire to run a world-class company, uh, having worked for a couple of them. Um, but but that ability to really pick and choose to your point and say, you know, what, what A can I be passionate about? Because you can, I, I have a post in my uh, home office about, you know, there are a lot of things that will catch your eye, what's going to catch your heart, you know, because again, there's a finite amount of hours in the day that you're going to work, that you're going to want to throw yourself into this thing. But the ability really to, to move the needle in a meaningful way, given the, the, the hand that this era has been dealt with respect to, you know, um, tragedy on a regular basis just continues to get me up and get my engine going every day with the hopes that, you know, let's just not be writing down these safety policies and waving it around and then again, sticking it on our credenza or checking a box for our insurance company. This should be a very real thing. And there's a term we use called um, force multiplication or being a force multiplier. There's no reason if a Sean Sullivan is on my event squad team that he shouldn't be informed and armed with information that is going to help in the event of X, Y, Z, because we don't know where that's going to occur. And it occur- if it occurs on your watch, you're going to want to be prepared as well. You wouldn't have volunteered presumably, if you didn't want to be a part of a thing. And sometimes being a part of a thing means having to deal with circumstances that are out of your control. Definitely. So thanks, Jim, for sharing all that information. And everybody check out Venue Intelligence. That's a wrap.